right, all right. I've been down in San Francisco, California. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Articulate with Steve McJones. I would like you to please forgive me for that awful impression of Matthew McConaughey. And I would... You want to talk about special episodes. This one, recorded in Malibu. California Ace. No, seriously. And Tom's look is just an amazing, amazingly generous person. And he was got so much life experience. And I was grateful to have him on uh, the podcast. So I really kind of just want to jump into it. And uh, I want, want you to hear what he has to say. And what a character this guy is. And uh, and I want to thank Tom again for everything that he's done for me. So, yeah. Uh, enjoy. Okay, hello, hello, hello. Hello. Hey, hey. welcome, Hi, uh, Tom Zook, to the podcast. I'll articulate. Hello, everyone. <laughs> we do have the beautiful uh, Malibu background ambiance going on out here, so <laughs> hope it's not too distracting for anybody. Right. We're just off Pacific Coast Highway, and every once in a while, a uh, motorcycle game will come, gang will come blasting through, and we'll <laughs> yeah. but, uh, it's um, part of part of the ambiance. Like yeah, definitely. So, uh, Tom. Just tell us, just let, introduce yourself a little bit into, well, uh, into the, the audience. Okay, yeah, my name's Tom Zook. Uh, I, I grew up in Athens, Ohio. Okay. Uh, and, and actually, that's where I met Steve about two, three weeks ago. I was home in Athens, uh, staying at the OU Inn, mm-hmm. and uh, we just got to talking. We yeah, some... I was bartender behind the <laughs> background of the bar, made you some kicking mules. Exactly. And, and they were uh, tasty. We uh, have a kind of similar background growing up in Ohio. Um, yeah. I'm I'm a, a year or two older than Steve. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually 55, and he's a little younger. Right. But uh, we hit it off. Yeah. And I think. I, I wonder if it's the Ohio connection. I wonder if that's I what it is. I think that's an excellent point. Yeah. Because uh, I, I'm I live out in uh, San Francisco currently, um, and I guess what I'd like to talk about today is just you know growing up in a small town in Ohio, mm-hmm. and then you know all the experiences I've had since then and how those have been kind of shaped and informed by growing up in a small town yeah you know at first i was ashamed and embarrassed and i tried to pretend i wasn't from ohio uh, yeah. <laughs> which you know everyone does you know i moved to la for college and everyone was from from someplace exotic and i thought oh i i, I shouldn't be from ohio but <laughs> but i have the opposite feeling about it now really um, i feel like ohio is a very exotic place sure it just depends on what Especially perspective. Athens, yeah. Athens, Ohio. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think I told you that before. Is like I didn't really, I mean, growing up, I didn't think people of other races would think I was attractive. But then somebody was like once to me, is like, well, you're almost exotic to them in a way. You Absolutely. Know? So, so you're exotic to exotic people, and they're exotic <laughs> to you. So, yeah, it's just uh, it goes around. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Athens, growing up in Athens, what was that like? Because well, I only know it as the college to- town. You totally, know what I mean? totally. And Athens, Athens has a probably a worldwide reputation of, of, you know, at one point, number one party school in Ohio, blah, 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 yeah. which I know they've tried to downplay. Um, a little bit, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, we moved, uh, I was born in Virginia, but we moved to Athens in 1973. Okay. Um, uh, my dad got a job uh, teaching at OU. Uh, I think I was seven years old. So, you know, that's kind of the beginning of my life, I think, was a conscious thinking person. <laughs> yeah, in Athens. <laughs> in Athens. Right. Um, so, you know, childhood in the 70s in a small town in Athens, Ohio. Um, you know, I've come to think of it, it's pretty much exactly as it had been probably the 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, like, I feel like my sister and I, you know, our childhood experiences is, is like 1950s America. 
Yeah. You know, in, in that really? small town. Because nothing, you know, between the 50s and 70s actually changed that much. Especially in Athens. Athens yeah. is its own little bubble out there. Totally. And mm. it might be that way a little bit still, but, you know, I think the, you know, the internet has made the world smaller and more connected. But just, just that kind of town where, you know, little kids in the morning, you run outside and you come back at dinner time. That's yeah. it. You know, my dad would whistle. He had a high-pitched whistle. Yeah. And, you know, it'd be just getting dark and we could hear it. And that meant, come, come on in. Yeah. But, you know, my mom 10 hours during the, the day, no one, you know, we were off on our own. You know, yeah. Playing in the woods. Which is, of, like, unheard of now, I feel totally. like. Like, I, like, it's the same way. Like, yeah. my mom would just yell my name out. And, and then once, I, yeah, like out the door at uh, sunset, or it's sunset, and you're like, yeah. okay, I have to come back now. Like, dark means time to go Time home. to go in. Yeah. Or you're hungry, and then you're just like, well, I need to get food somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think we did have bike locks and things like that, but, mm-hmm. you know, like a bike getting stolen, I, I don't think ever happened. Really? Like, it just didn't, you know? Everyone had a bike, and everyone in town knew what everyone else's bike looked like, <laughs> yeah. pretty much, you know? Oh, like, yeah, it's almost like cars, but, like, yeah, it's just like a smaller... I, orange bicycle if someone else had it i like, oh, find out yeah, find out. yeah. so That's funny. um i think just being kind of a self-reliant kid you know building tree houses in the woods mm-hmm. um you know is pretty much like an ideal i think kind of childhood oh in yeah a lot of people's minds you know i mean it, it harnesses that creativity along with nature you know oh, what i mean I, I mean we'd be building you know bridges for the squirrels to cross the creek and things mm-hmm. like that and building dams and is that you know, where your interest in architecture well, <laughs> first kind of came <laughs> that's in? That's a good point because I think my the most happy I've ever been is like as an eight-year-old just building something, yeah. you know, and I, I built tree houses and houses and you know, I, I built a, a camper on my wagon that I made my dog live in and I pulled him around in a camper and yeah. um, I actually even had a working fireplace in my tree house. Sure. And oh, really? it was in the fall, and the leaves actually caught on fire. <laughs> and the neighbor, Mrs. Bradford, called my mother, like, <laughs> like your child is, you know. Yeah. But it was just the freedom to do, you know, whatever you wanted and just basically. Except burn the, the whole except place down. Can't burn down the woods. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just, yeah, freedom to build anything you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a, a boat uh, out of a, a cardboard box. It was a refrigerator box. I was in yeah. fourth grade. And I wrapped the box in a single sheet of plastic, you mm-hmm. know, a big tarp. And my dad drove me down to this kind of pond, and I went out on the pond in my cardboard box. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, I remember my fourth grade class, they were, like, kind of making fun of me because I described it, and they just understood it was a cardboard box. Yeah. And they didn't quite get that I had waterproofed the cardboard box. <laughs> so they were all saying, oh, my God, he's going to, you know, he made a, box, a boat out of cardboard, and ha, ha, ha. But yeah. I took pictures of my boat. Yeah, you know, and of course it had sails and flags, and, and you showed them. You showed oh, yeah. it right down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their <laughs> fourth grade faces. It was, it was, you know, my dad putting this box in the station wagon and driving me down to the pond and standing there, making sure I didn't drown, yeah, yeah. <laughs> making sure it wasn't actually just a cardboard box. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. But I, th- I think that kind of gave me confidence that I could build things and figure them out by yeah. myself, and even if. It was kind of crazy, like building a fireplace in a treehouse. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could figure it out. Yeah, like that's what I wouldn't be able to do that. That's for sure. <laughs> I would have burned it down without even trying to build anything on accident. But yeah, that's where that kind of kicked in. Yeah, for you. and I, I awesome. think that, it, well, I guess Athens, Ohio kind of gave me the kind of freedom to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my parents were both teachers in the university and we're all surrounded by 
you know, their students and that kind of, I always thought of college as like a really fun place. Yeah. College is where, you know, the kids are crazy and laughing and we had uh, parties for students at our house. Um, oh. Drinking was a big thing that uh, <laughs> no one seemed to worry about too much back yeah. in the 70s. And uh, we served a wine punch. My mom had a punch bowl that was like probably 10 gallons of punch and my sister and I would be pouring the gallons of wine into the punch bowl for wow. the students and it, it just college was a you really said, happy you said fun. wine punch wine punch oh, I was thinking Hawaiian punch. oh no this is <laughs> kind of alcohol you <laughs> yeah. know we'd have a hundred uh, and you were past fourth grade at this point right well I would like no to I, I, I was just you know making the punch oh okay but uh, you know we had part my dad was in the theater and so we had cast parties after the the theater productions we'd have a hundred students at the house loud music dancing running around you know it's it just so for me as a kid my whole image of college and university was that it was just the greatest thing mm -hmm. you know and you know my, my aunts and uncles are all teachers that were total kind of academic background yeah you know and so school was always like a fun thing yeah um and then just one point i wanted to talk about a little bit is just uh, my high school athens high school yeah um i think it's about about a thousand students like mm -hmm. maybe two three hundred in my senior class um, and there was one school for the whole Athens County. There was one school. Yeah. And so every, uh, you know, demographic, every economic background, everyone is in the same place. Wow. One school. So there's yeah. no, there's no upper, there's no lower, there's no, you know, private school. It's just everybody um, in Athens yeah. goes here. Yeah. And wow. it, it kind of, you know, it's just a real mix because uh, Ohio's a, Athens is a college town. So a lot of, basically the school, I'd say half of it, you know, kids their parents were professors mm -hmm. and then half were not um and it's also you know southern ohio is rural appalachia yeah. you know it was the coal mine area depression uh really some harsh you know economic conditions for a lot of kids and so some kids had had money and kind of intellectual parents and other kids might have had parents who were unemployed you know they didn't have all the same stuff right. but we're all in the same school yeah. And I think that was a real yeah, how did asset. That, yeah, how did that play out? Well, I, I, as I grew older, um, my, my college career is sort of nonlinear. I listed five universities. Well, yeah, so... Oh, so we're <laughs> we'll get into the, that, but... Right. <laughs> but within the high school, I mean, it's like... Uh, like, I mean, I feel to a certain extent I had a little bit of that mm -hmm. diversity, but it was mm -hmm. also Lebanon. You know, it's a very sure. small town in Ohio, sure. so it was mostly white kids that mm -hmm. were you know middle class upper right. or middle basically right. but it wasn't right. that big like you said like the intellectual versus like the you know athens deep country yeah because I, I think you know again in terms of diversity i think it might have been diverse economically but right. not in terms of race sure you know there were actually as i as i recall i remember two black students okay. in my high school experience yeah uh and one jewish family you know and of course <laughs> all this should be you know, this is just from memory, right. so it's not, I haven't fact-checked any. Right, but I mean... But I, I, you know, and, and they were part of the, uh, as I recall, they were never ostracized. They were very popular kids. Okay. You know, and yeah. so it wasn't, but, and they were always accepted, you know. The sure. one girl was very, I think she was a cheerleader, and so the town, at least from my knowledge, but again, this is from the point of view of a high school student. I yeah. have no idea what it yeah. actually was like to yeah. be the one black kid in a white high school. And can imagine. So I'm saying, yeah, I'm sure it was fine, but I'm sure it also wasn't fine. Right. You know? There but, were definitely some things. But yeah, the just I think the mix of students from um you know, some went on to be, you know, world famous. So I think that's interesting that uh 
like you. Yep. <laughs> well, I'm not famous at all, yeah. but one one architect, Maya Lin, mm-hmm. uh, of course, she won the uh, Vietnam oh, Vets the Memorial Vietnam. Yeah, she competition. Was from Athens. I about she was that. from Athens. Went to Athens High School. Yeah. Uh, her father was the dean of the College of Fine Arts, so wow. my mom was a student of his. Oh. And mom knew her mom. My sister went to high school with. Maya's brother. I've actually never met Maya. I still want to at some point because I, I followed her career so closely and we've never met. But I, I know what her house looks like. I know where she's from. Yeah. But I guess my point being is that she's mentioned her background in Athens, Ohio, as having you know a big impact on her life. Right. Her father was a, a ceramic artist, and you know she says he made the plates and the dishware that we ate off oh, of. Oh wow! And my mom did the exact same thing. So, really? So someday I hope to meet Maya Lin. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, but, so yeah. then on to college. Was it that same? Did you did you find that college ended up being just as fun as you had imagined well, <laughs> for those it, parties? It and did and did not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you know I I, I uh, started off college you know with uh, an idea of what I thought I wanted to do. Um, I always wanted to be an architect. There was like, and I feel lucky. There was no question. It was never a choice between two or three things. It was one thing only yeah. from day one. Yeah, no, that um, is you're very so kind of lucky. Lucked out a lot of people because it came yeah. from those tree houses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, you know, I started college actually in Arizona, went to Arizona State for the first year. Uh, my grandfather lived there. My mom had grown up in Phoenix, and to me that was really exotic. You know, I'm going to go off somewhere exciting. Yeah. Arizona State, um, and I got there, and the program really wasn't what I thought it would be. Uh, so just in a summary, came home. I uh, went to OU for that summer. Um, and then I went to University of Cincinnati right. for uh, a year and a half. And then Cincinnati has an internship program. My first internship was to Southern California. Oh, uh, <laughs> of course, yeah. You I had, know, I had a job. that exotic it, Arizona exactly. life. Exactly. And, so, and I, just to say, I loved uh, Cincinnati. It kind of the whole world opened up. It's a fantastic art school. And yeah. just, I was meeting uh, kids from all over. Um, and But then in the second year, you know, it was starting to get a little more, uh, I guess, business oriented and mm-hmm. it wasn't as creative and as exciting as it had been the first year. Yeah. That first internship was in Newport Beach, California. Um, I managed to find a little beach house on Balboa Island. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just well, for, and you were what, like 20 I at this point? I was 20, yeah. And, and to, to have a little place in California as an Ohio kid, that's ama- that sounds well, amazing and, to me. You know? And it's funny that, you know, I just looked in the paper, uh, basically renting a bedroom uh, from my brother and sister. They owned the house. Their oh. parents lived next door in another house, you know, and the rent was affordable. But, you know, everyone in my office was like, you just showed up from Ohio and you have a beach house. How did that <laughs> happen? But I, I think, again, maybe some of that has to do with that kind of, I don't want to say confidence, but just not no fear of well why can't i live on the beach in a beach house you know and um i I remember that was my first impression of california and i think the kind of there's a little snootiness you know this was um uh, my roommates from owned the house you know they're they're friends you know extremely wealthy they all had porsches and sailboats and but i realized i could kind of hang out with them and i was really you know we could have dinner together and I, I was the, the kind of the farm kid from Ohio. Yeah. And that's kind of what they always saw me. But immediately I could say, well, actually, my father was the 
director of the symphony and he conducted the orchestra yeah. and he, we did all the operas and actually I can sing opera in Italian and wow. and they were like oh wow so you're not just a farmer from yeah not even I don't want to say just a farmer because that's not a bad thing either yeah exactly but but I I remember saying like, that just comes with that snootiness that you well yeah about. and I would always at, at that point actually I remember I had a University of Cincinnati sticker on my car mm. also I should say I think in hindsight I was kind of a spoiled kid you know, <laughs> like you know, I loving family, two parents. I wanted a car. I got a car. Oh yeah. I want to go to school in California. Okay, sure. Well, you know, and not everyone gets that. Of so, course, yeah. But I remember I had a sticker on my car, and I thought in my Ohio license plate, driving through Newport Beach, and I thought some kids they were laughing at me. You know, oh man, because they're like, you know, it just it would kind of stick out. Like, oh, definitely. Oh, you know, and University I was, yeah, and I was kind of like. I was upset, but I was embarrassed. You know? I mean, that sticker would even stick out in Ohio, like the Columbus. You know no, what I mean? Sure, like, sure. Yeah, but these, I, you know, these kids went to USC. Right. You know, they're in a you know convertible, whatever, with their Trojan stickers. Right. All and I realized, I thought, ooh, Ohio's not so. But it upset me. I remember being kind of offended. Yeah. <laughs> but I was still. I wasn't. I honestly, at that point, I still wasn't really proud of Ohio. Like, hadn't hadn't come to that point. But yeah. um. Just, I, I decided I, I, I did want to stay in California. Um, There's a school uh, called SciArc, Southern California Institute of Architecture in oh. LA. And I told my parents, like, I I have to stay here. Yeah. <laughs> and they were, they were okay they really with fit it. For you. Yeah. And, you know, my dad, he was, you know, they want me to do whatever I want to do, which is great. But one time he kind of jokingly said, oh, I guess just Cincinnati's not good enough for you, you know? Oh, yeah. But I think that that comes from his father you know and it, there's just that it's it's tough to say like well why why do i not want to be in cincinnati and i do want to be in los angeles you yeah because there's an element of well what's wrong with cincinnati you know yeah. what i mean but i think uh you it's know just part of that tradition yeah. basically behind the family right uh, i mean i i kind of get that from my family as sure. well a little bit it's like i want to go to new york or you know i'm right. out here in california or something right. and it's like well, I mean, we're in, well, you know, staying in Ohio. We're here. We're here, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I, I think, at least for me, this is kind of all comes full circle mm -hmm. um, to the point where, so I, I spent three years in L.A. from then on, and a good friend of mine was from Cincinnati, Ohio, one of my, one of my best friends in the school, and she was the first one to show me, like, no, it's really cool to be from Ohio, you know, because she was totally amazing, amazing girl, you know, her sister was a ballet dancer. You know, they were kind of struggling. They didn't have any money. They lived together in a tiny apartment. Yeah. You know, and and she basically just had so much um, talent and creativity and self confidence that I learned from her. Oh, there's the motorcycle. There's right? the motorcycles. Hell, <laughs> Hell's Angels. Rolling, yeah. rolling um, but she said, "No, it's really cool to be from Ohio." Like mm -hmm. that was the first time someone had said that. She was really proud of it. Wow. And I, I really changed. had a huge impression on me because I could see how cool she was. You know, she wore crazy clothes and had this wild blonde hair, and and she could be kind of a, a cool LA girl and say, "Yeah, I'm from Ohio. It was yeah. great." And I, I I picked up on that, so I, I tried to emulate her personality. <laughs> <laughs> I had a blonde ponytail. <laughs> I, I bleached my hair white. Bleached I'm like, I can have bleached hair if I want to. Yeah. And I had these ratty. And you stuffed your bra. <laughs> <laughs> ratty tennis shoes I had these you know jeans that had so many holes in them they were almost not even yeah, jeans, jeans anymore at that point. you know they were a little a little much they're yeah. like they're not even actually wearing any pants but yeah. um 
but that that was the kind of the beginning of uh, just a different sensibility of, of being proud Ohio, yeah. of Ohio and that you can move from place to place. And I think it's actually feel that you belong or you fit in anywhere you go yeah. just because you decide that. Right. You know, and, and that's hard for a lot of people. It, it, yeah. And it, yeah. And I think it takes a long time. It doesn't just happen overnight. Um, my, my next experience then, I worked for LA, in L.A. for two years after college, but I still want to go to grad school. Okay. And since I was a little kid, I wanted to go to Yale. Um, I had some Yale uh, alumni teaching at Cincinnati. Sure. And I just, it was this, college was my dream as a child. And oh, right. study architecture at Yale it was the best, you know, it was kind of an art school. It had a really incredible connection to the art world. Yeah. And so I took a lot, actually two years to apply. Uh, I did not, I got rejected the first year. Oh, sad. <laughs> Thought I was going to, my life is over. It was Might over, as well just yeah. kill myself, you know. <laughs> I, you know, I think I, I literally, I stayed in bed for like two days and <laughs> I was no, yeah. dramatic kid. But, well, uh, no, it's, it happens when you're in a yeah. place like that. I mean, I mean, just real quick over like coronavirus, like after my internship got canceled, I was like, I don't know oh, what I'm going to yeah, do, you no, know, and like, I life just, is over it's because done. of this one thing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um. But yeah, so then you, so what'd you do to, after you, like, how did you, how did you end up trying to like reapply or like, how did oh, you feel yeah, that Oh yeah, no, actually I, I was lucky enough. I had two to bounce amazing professors. Um, one of them taught, well, they were actually both teaching at Yale and you know, she, uh, Billy Chen, Todd Williams and Billy Chen, greatest architects on the planet, <laughs> they're my idols forever. And they were my professors and, and she said, no, I... I think your work is just as good as my students at Yale. Wow. You know, and I was kind of blown away. And um, they helped me with my portfolio. You know, I, I gave my portfolio to Todd, and he looked at it, and he's like, oh, my God, no wonder you didn't get in. You know, kind of laughing. Yeah. Like, you know, every Wait, sketch so I'd ever... Wait, them before you even went to Yale? Well, they were teaching at SciArc. At Sci... Okay. So I got and to be in their studio. So they were actually my teachers for one semester. Right. Yeah. And so... Uh, Yale's totally democratic. There's no, you know, favoritism, no pulling strings. You, you get in on your own merit, but your portfolio, the way you organize your work, really says a lot about, you know, your ability as an, as an architect. So I did get in the second year, second okay. track. Sure. So, and then even uh, the graduate program, there are 12 students in every class, yeah. tiny group, and I realized there's kind of uh, a mix. You know, they're very, they have, you know, thousands of students want to go and they, the graduate program is just 12, um, wow. and there's kind of one of each. <laughs> one of each. And I was kind of, in a way, the Ohio kid, or okay. the, there was one guy from South Dakota. Oh, wow. You know, but everyone else was kind of New York, kind of gone to Princeton undergrad kind of thing. Yeah, you know, sort but, of privilege. Well, I mean, it's kind of what you expect at Yale. You know, Yale's sure, a big name. Sure, sure, um, But But again, I actually, at that point, was really proud of my kind of Ohio upbringing right. um i had my dad let me take his little pickup truck little ford you know little chevy <laughs> pickup truck it's red it was rusted all the way through oh man so this Classic. is where i really remembered back to you know that incident with in california i had my rusted you know little rusted pickup with ohio pickup. license plate yeah big old yell sticker on the back mm -hmm. you know like i'm a i'm a country kid here at uh, yale university so <laughs> i was just proud of that you yeah. know and, and uh so again finished school there and at that point i well i moved to miami so mm. how'd you end up deciding on miami well i 
I was 28 at that point, and I'd been in school for eight years. Wow. Nonstop. Whew. And, I, um, I don't know how you like school that much, man. <laughs> well, I, I did, but I, uh, well, I had this kind of, I, went, I moved to Miami Beach, South Beach. Okay. At that time was uh, parties on the beach, circuit parties, oh, yeah, clubbing. We're, we're that was my, about this a little and bit. I kind of laugh now. I think that, you have to that, have a phase like that. That was my club kid yeah. phase, which <laughs> I would do again in a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just, it was the, one of the best times of my life. Um, Miami Beach was still kind of a small town. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the big Hurricane Andrew had come through and destroyed most of the hotels, and some of them weren't even renovated. They were abandoned hotels on really? the beach. But um, it was this up-and-coming kind of party culture. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be blunt, but I, I did have a good job. I worked through that. Right. I mean, um, you're allowed to, you know, play hard as long oh, as you yeah. work hard, of course. Totally. You know, so totally. No judgment there. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about it. So if you can live it up and make a living doing it, you know, then why not? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I guess then the next step, I realized I... I I am just kind of hanging out in Miami Beach, you know, and I wanted to get back to kind of hardcore architecture and... Um, well, so what, did anything prompt that feeling of like, all right, I need to kind of well, get out of this party mentality? And... I think, yeah. I mean, just to be blunt, I was drinking a lot and partying yeah. a lot and uh, a well, lot of... That, tend to, that tends to yeah, happen when you're and in a, a lot of culture. hangovers, uh, a lot just of took feeling a toast, really a crappy... And it turns out a friend of mine was teaching at Tulane mm -hmm. University, and he and I were in touch, and he's like, hey, there's a, a teaching position opening up. You know, one of the professors, late in the summer, she was pregnant, and she was going to teach anyway, and then decided not to. So uh, I applied and got a job um, really? teaching undergrad, which is something I also really wanted. That's what I was wondering, because so you got really, I mean, you got along really well with the other, <laughs> excuse them. Excuse, excuse them, Marissa. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you got along really well with like the students that you were learning with, obviously, because you had a great time in college. Totally. So that did that, that definitely kind of prompted, even from that education, from you know growing up with your parents having those college right. kids over. Right. No, that no. really uh, steered you toward you know being a professor. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it's actually my best buddy from Yale, who was then teaching at Tulane. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and he and his wife had bought a house, and he's like, "Hey, you can live in our our basement." Um, oh, wow. And it worked out. It was just another, it was one year. Sure. And then from there I went to New York. But I guess the point of this is just the kind of nonlinear trajectory. You know, you <laughs> kind of make a plan of how things are going to go. Right. You it, think it's going to be a set path. And it changes. And, just like that. Yeah. And, and in hindsight, in you're glad it changed. A year. <laughs> and you're like, what am I doing here for a year? And then you realize it was the best move yeah, that you could have made. Yeah, it was amazing. And I realized, that I think, just through that, how much I loved uh, teaching, okay. you know, because it was it was intimidating at first. I, it's like crap. I'm, I'm you know standing in front of a class, and I would see the other professors, and they were a lot more experienced and confident. Sure. And you know, I taught a design studio, but then I also taught a drawing class, figure drawing. Yeah. And that was in the spring semester. And at Christmas, I saw only two people had signed up for my course. It was oh, devastated. No. I thought, oh my god, like nobody wants to take my class, but they just yeah. didn't really know who I was. Sure. Um, and that that was a great experience because then at the end, like by the after the first week, I had twenty five signed up, only like twenty allowed. So five, you know, I had to allow extra students in the class. Yeah. But it uh, it was a figure drawing class, and I had a nude model, and I was had this idea of how you could mix uh, a nude model with an architectural space. Wow. I actually learned this from a drawing teacher uh, at Yale, but 
you know, I, I set up the class with the nude model and kind of furniture and still lifes and and it was just a really I had the lights all set in a certain way. Right. So you and, learned it from Yale, but yeah. then you expanded on it within your own class. Totally. Yeah. And and it was funny because everybody wanted to come to the class and you know, <laughs> people would kinda of come watch. But the thing is I also needed a great model. Right. And the school didn't provide for that. So it's kinda of fun. I found this woman, she was incredible, you know, she could hold a perfect pose frozen not breathe for 18 minutes you know kind of thing yeah and it's funny like the guys all wanted to bring their friends and i'm oh, like uh, uh the doors are locked yeah. if you're not in this class you cannot come in and just hang out <laughs> um but it i basically almost the what it's i was really earning for the class i paid to the model oh wow <laughs> and wow. my friend my buddy who again was teaching he's like Okay, that's classic Tom Zook. You're spending more than you're earning yeah. to do the class. Um, <laughs> but it was from the experience. Yeah, you know? oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realized that, again, that's... I think a lot of this talk is just that you figure out, like, who you are and what you're about sure. over time. Yeah. You know, and if there's and something to, really yeah, important, that new model made the whole experience, not only, not for me, but for the class. and. Right. It was worth every cent, you know, and okay, I didn't make any money, but so what? So, you know, okay, it yeah. was, it was, you know, a great learning and great growing thing. experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then, so that was while you were still in the basement, right? Then, or the, yeah, that? and okay. actually the basement just funny a, a, a New Orleans house. It was built uh, almost as a farm house, oh, a really? dairy barn behind, and the basement had a dirt floor. Oh no! Because it was raised up, you know, because of the floods. Yeah. So the main living floor was way up in the air, mm -hmm. and so I was living. It was a mud floor. Living in the dirt, so typical we, uh, Ohio fellow. So we uh, we got a guy to come in and pour a concrete floor, and so anyway, my friend and I we kind of built out. We built a kitchen and a bathroom, so I kind of spent the whole year building this yeah. space to live under a house. But again, that's that's me in Ohio building my treehouse. Now I'm building a house to live in. <laughs> right, right. Wow, just kind of echoes. Yeah. Down, so down at line. that point, then I I, um, I did get a job in New York, mm -hmm. moved back to New York because that's kind of where all my friends from school were. And what was I, the was it like teaching again? Well, no, it was uh, just a job in an office working for my former pr professor. Sure. Um, but he had some amazing projects, um, and I think that's where. Um, just being a professional architect really took off and I ended up being there well 20 years I guess I'm not sure the exact timeline <laughs> but um, uh, that brings me up to where I am now um, coming back out to San Francisco well you know and there's a little bit of India a little bit yeah. of Roman in between there <laughs> something like that right um, so the, the job I had with my professor uh, lasted until 2005. Okay. Um, but then uh, a friend of mine, uh, who was an architect in India, he mm -hmm. asked me to come move to move to Mumbai. Okay. Uh, I had been doing projects in India for the New York office for like three years. Yeah. Flying back and forth. Um, actually, just on that theme, you know, living in India. Yeah. I mean, talk about not belonging, not fitting <laughs> in. You know, I'm a a, a tall white bald man in and you know uh, our office was in kind of a slum area yeah. and just because he had bought a, a huge warehouse but you know a lot of these these kids you know this is a, a neighborhood where people don't really leave the neighborhood right you know they're living in a in a hut mint yeah you know? we're talking about that. and they and just stay was, with their families yeah their whole and they lives. don't go anywhere yeah you know, they, they live they, in mumbai they can't get that exotic arizona experience they, they don't 
get on airplanes. They don't fly places. And yeah. then they see this this crazy man <laughs> walking down the street, and a little children would scream, like mm-hmm. scream out loud, like, yeah. like I'm a you know really like alien scared? from outer space. <laughs> yeah, but That's they were hilarious. also excited. They would because I would smile at them. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, just interesting traveling around India. You know, the first thing people always say is, "You look like some Hollywood actor." Oh, That's the first wow. thing. And yeah. It was either uh, John Malkovich, who was very popular <laughs> at the time, yeah. and actually one guy in a hotel. He was he ran and said, "Oh my God, John Malkovich is here!" Everyone, you know. <laughs> and you realize being on the other side of things, you know, a bald man with a big nose. Well, that's John Malkovich because that's, that's the only yeah, other guy in the world they know that looks like me. <laughs> you know. Um, the other comparison was Bruce Willis, oh, and really? I always I always preferred the Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis reference. For John Malkovich. <laughs> Um, the other was Michael Stipe, you know, R.E.M. Oh, yeah. But again, bald guy, big nose. Yeah. Well, you must be him. Yeah. You know, because all, all white guys look alike. Right, you know? right. Um, Inverse racism. Yeah, well. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> in a way, exactly. In a way. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, that experience but, must have been crazy. But it, And I realized, like, I, I could feel comfortable being, like, the freak from outer space. Yeah. You know? And, and it, if you can feel comfortable doing that, then you can Well, <laughs> that's what I, I, I realized. Like, I can belong anywhere. Yeah. And I don't say that, like, egotistically, but I think... I mean, that know, just do, comes do like... I fit in? Do I not fit in? It's something you decide yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody else isn't going to say, oh, yeah, you fit in. Yeah. But, you know? It just comes, like, from internal. You right. know, like, being comfortable with right. being inside. Oh, here he is. Yeah, <laughs> just looking for the dog, and he's right under my seat, yeah. as he all should be. Um, so, so yeah, and just one more point. Um, in India, I like we had some of the most amazing clients. Uh, my my business partner, his wife, very prominent family. Her sister had married the cricket commissioner. Oh, really? And like cricket is like more important than politics, you yeah. know. And, and she always said like the cricket commissioner has more influence than the prime minister. Wow. You know? um, but they had, you know, they knew incredible, uh, well, just people in India, a famous Bollywood actor, yeah. Amir Khan. He's probably one of the most famous actors in the world. We don't know him over here. Right. Uh, but right. Bollywood movies, Indian movies, all of, uh, all of Asia, you know, is, probably has a bigger distribution, I'm sure, than Hollywood movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, most of the world watches, you know, Bollywood. Indian films because um, they're they're just cheaper and they're, yeah they're, yeah and they're well more, it's it's also like the culture the, quality, the dance routines and yeah you know the whole industry the music industry is set up with the film industry right and so you know the film soundtrack becomes like the big release of the year and oh, everyone wow. listens to it and so the films always have massive singing and dancing yeah <laughs> as part of the entertainment you know, and yeah. It's, uh, so, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Amir Khan. Amir Khan. Yeah. Did you get to to meet him at all? Well, I, I I did, and and be, he is such a beyond like iconic. You know, it, he has a huge Mercedes, and he would be in the back seat, and I would ride in the front seat. And oh, if wow. you know, if we stopped and anyone recognized him, the car would be covered. Like, yeah. you know, if he came to the office, no one could know he was there. Uh, you know, my my you partner see John said, no, Malkovich driving around. <laughs> well, that's what, like, you know, you'd have a thousand people mobbing if they found out he was there because wow. he's, he's like so Huge. insanely popular. Yeah. But you know, kids would look at the car and they'd think I was a bodyguard and they'd become <laughs> scared. You know, like yeah. who's that? You know, yeah. riding in this you know big Mercedes driving through you know villages somebody in rural important. India. Somebody big must be in there. Yeah. You know, back windows are all tinted so they couldn't see who sure. he was. But but also he was a super nice guy, 
really with down all to the earth. fame and yeah everything. yeah I mean he we went over to lunch uh, at his apartment and he served a very simple um, rice and dal kind of lentils and rice and he looked at me and said oh do you need silverware like you know because just trying to yeah yeah like you're and i said oh no no like because actually i didn't know how the you know eating with your hands right is is the traditional way of eating and i remember he said you know it's just it's more friendly it's warmer yeah and you know from our perspective we think it's kind of primitive and it's it's actually from their perspective or they think like eating with pieces of metal is kind of like surgical it's kind of gross yeah you know? yeah it's really disconnected because yeah. that's what you're saying the culture over there is all about that human connection and not even just like you know talking conversational connection but also like even you know just touching and, and sharing and just totally each other. totally yeah. and i think that um dinner was served you know by his staff and and but it was on a, a coffee table we all sit on the floor you know legs crossed and you know, my, my partner, he was saying, you know, this is a really special thing. Like, we're, we're being invited into, like, the kind of family. Yeah. You know, this is like being invited into the, you know, the back rooms of the family where you're really close. Like, yeah. You don't do this for business associates. This is for close friends. Like, right. we're, all, we're all just buddies here. Well, and that goes along with yeah. how we were talking about. There's not really a lot of chances. Since they don't move out of their house, you know, they all yeah. live with their family their whole right. life. There's not a big, like, networking opportunity that they take advantage of or anything you know it's not like they're making friends here and moving all over right, the place right, and doing right, that right it's they make friends through their kids getting married right and, and totally, through things like that totally. and so and to that, have you in that just, family yeah and actually that i was i was kind of pulled into the family yeah you know and actually the the clients that i've had just another point about like the indian relationships once you're in you're kind of in for life yeah like okay but now you're part of our family that's a big deal yeah once that they assume well that's that's forever right i mean so you still oh yeah yeah we're very we're still good friends uh my um the clients i worked with initially you know like when when you stay with them they they walk you out to the street and they wait until the car pulls away and then they wave you know like it's, it's just that kind of human connection is is very much a part of their lives definitely and just a kind of protocol and good manners yeah you, you always respect yeah yeah it's just a very kind of warm and loving culture yeah um you know the thing is if you're a tourist and you're out on the street you don't see that yeah you don't feel it yeah. so i think you know people go to india and they're like oh my god it was dirty and crazy and well that's because you went to the dirty mcdonald's in <laughs> india <laughs> not because you, you didn't you, yeah sure and if you're just a tourist out on the street you, you don't you don't see what's, you know, you don't happening. get to sit down on the floor in a living room with somebody in someone's home. Right. Um, and so I, I just, uh, you know, I think that experience of being there also... Really perspective yeah, changing, mind yeah. opening. And, and just seeing Western culture from the Eastern perspective. Yeah. Open my eyes a lot to, you know, what you really have to have in life, what you think you have to have. Yeah. So much of our... Because you, ta- you said like 90% of the people over there are part of the lower class yeah right? well yeah exactly the middle middle class in india is very small you know the upper class is tiny but upper class has a ton of money yeah and the vast majority don't mm-hmm. you know and you know we were just talking about how what can you fix that can you change that those, those are huge questions that i can't even begin to yeah, <laughs> talk begin to about but sure. i think you know that's just what we we're kind of touching on can everyone 
share the planet right. equally, but the reality is everyone cannot be middle class. Right. Or you can't, well, it, uh, <laughs> politics aside. Politics aside, um, I think if the planet wants to survive together, the people at the top have to just give up, give up the crap and mm-hmm. let some other people have it. And, and it's hard. I worry that's I, not going to happen. I can see happen. how that would be hard, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm worried about it too, but you have to, I mean, I, I can see how, you know, if you had worked so, so much to, to get a certain amount of, you know, you know, uh, even land or something like that. It's like, right. well, this is my land. I worked to get here right. and like right. I, I use all of it or something well, like that. Sure. And I think, you know, communism had that ideal that mm. we're all going to share. You know, that was <laughs> in the 20s and 30s. Um, socialism, that we're all equal and we're all going to share everything. And within, what, two minutes, corruption comes in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, certain people, people want more power and they take they take advantage of that idea. And um, it's, it, again, I can only touch on it because I, I don't have any answers. Right. But well, I, this is where the philosophical yeah. kind of stuff source yeah. come in because yeah i mean it's knowing people and knowing history and then from that you can only extrapolate right you can right, only right. make estimates that are fairly inaccurate you know right, what i mean right right yeah <laughs> well i think that well just one point i feel like the west and the east can learn from each other yeah um you know because just if you imagine i think just trying to understand another person's situation point of view is is Step number one. Having that empathy. Yeah. No, empathy is exactly, I think, um, Walt Whitman, one of my favorite writers, you know, hardcore American, yeah. you know, song of myself. It's all about, you know, the American mentality that, you know, an American has never bowed down to a king or queen and, you know, they have <laughs> the spirit of themselves. Um, but, but he wrote that um, empathy is the basis of civilization. Oh, wow. You don't have civilization, and that's you know kind of the difference between us and ha- animals and human beings. Is animals don't really have empathy for other animals. Sure. You know, the the tiger doesn't really feel sorry for the antelope that <laughs> 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 he just ate. You know. Yeah. But but I, I think we're also just currently in a situation where we see political parties that do not have empathy. Mm-hmm. You know that well we're we're better than you, and we should get more stuff because we were born in this place and the people in that other place don't deserve to have what we have. And I think that's kind of the opposite of civilization, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know where we're all going to end up with that, but yeah. you know, I think just, just feeling, well, at one point I think feeling like you belong anywhere on the planet is, is important. Yeah. And that's know? what you kind of got from that. Yeah. India, and from, from living in India that I could be here yeah. and, you know, you and I were driving across California and I was saying, like, you know, we're just a little trailer park town in the middle of California. Yeah. I'm like, you know, the worst thing, you know, if I ended up in a trailer in this little town, that'd be great. You know? Yeah, It'd worst case fun. scenario, like, you have that community of yeah, yeah. trailer park people. Like, what, what, you're just a person, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and so to be able to, to, be, to, to be humble enough to admit that you could live there, you know, yeah, and be yeah. able to, that is very important in, in itself. Um, but, you know, I do want to say... That there is something that, like we are animals at, at some point you know what i mean so it's not like that mentality we're not completely separate from that you know what well, i mean well and i guess that to me that's the big question are we at a point where, where we, we can... need to evolve beyond being animals yeah you know because we can kind of I, I you know not to be dramatic but you know we're in california and the sky is filled with smoke for a week <laughs> 
you know, and yeah. it's it's every year. So next year, how long is the smoke going to last? And like two weeks, is a month. This, is Malibu going to exist next year when the fire comes roaring over the hills? Yeah. Because you know we've never had the number of hot days, the temperature, you know, the critical fire conditions from Canada to Mexico, the entire west coast of the United States is right. in a critical fire zone, and I think that's never happened. And what would it take for us to do something about it, you know? Well, <laughs> yeah, if the sky I, was I, on fire? <laughs> if the sky was on fire, would that change Well, I think global warming, <laughs> and I, I prefer to call it global warming and not climate change, because I think climate, you know, the words that we use kind of color everything, and some people think, whoa, what's so wrong with change? Change is good. You know, climate change, so what? Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, we've been ignoring for so long that, you know, what we're doing to the environment is slowly destroying the ability for humanity to live here mm -hmm. i always felt really bad for the planet like oh the poor planet the humans are destroying it but actually uh, a friend of mine who's a priest he said but that's actually not the case humanity is just a parasite yeah and the world the earth conditions that created the earth are still here yeah. so if humanity extinguishes itself and you know the sky's dark with smoke and we can't live here anymore we all die out from starvation. But the cockroaches are still being Well, a million <laughs> years from now, it could just come back, or could 10 million, back, you know? Yeah. And so it it made me realize, like, humanity is just temporary. Like, we don't own the Earth. The Earth owns us. Right. And we're just lucky enough to get to be here for yeah. a short time. And, and I don't think this I will be we... the end, to be honest with you. I mean, just growing up, you know, what, I'm in the 2000s when it was, a, it, I mean, it's, even in the 80s, there was a big thing about um, runoffs, runoff, uh, you know, pollution and, and stuff like right. that. I know it was a big deal back then, too, but I feel like it's been ingrained in these kids nowadays from the 80s to now to, yeah. I mean, in the future, it's good. I mean, they see these. You know, there's everybody has a phone, like you were saying, right? right. So there's going to be like 12 year olds looking on their phone, like, "Oh, California's covered in fire. What, what, <laughs> what the hell is going on?" Basically. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, that's a good point. I think maybe, kind of rounding out the discussion is just the, the connection that humanity has to each other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people have actually said, you know, the coronavirus is the first time, at least in my lifetime, that there's a common enemy, oh, on the yeah. planet. Like, yeah. doesn't the, matter if you're, if you're Chinese or you're Melania Trump, you can die or, just as easily. Or a communist capitalism totally, place or totally. democratic I mean, or whatever. And it also just shows that I, I think, again, I don't know the statistics, but, you know, some of the poorer countries that you would think are disadvantaged actually have an advantage because the immune system is stronger oh, yeah. than America's, you know this richest country in the world is suffering more than anyone yeah and you know it's just kind of ironic that you know we're all suffering from a common common enemy and i think global warming is a common enemy also but yeah you know, if, so hopefully it's i would love eyes. to just say gee what if we didn't have countries anymore <laughs> like is that is that that well, john lennon it, said it first is, right? oh yeah <laughs> i mean is it possible for yeah, us yeah. and i think the only way is if we actually think of each other as as equally valuable right and unfortunately i think we don't yeah we don't know how um we've never been taught that right we've, we've been taught to be different and special and <laughs> to get ahead and compete and you can only get ahead if someone else is behind you know yeah yeah and uh i i, I don't know and in a way getting ahead that. though i mean you have to think the people that are getting ahead think they're pulling everybody else with them, right? But they're not. They but, know that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, they're not. I don't, like, I don't know. When, some, when the, when the rich the and the poor get further apart, mm -hmm. you know, how is the billionaire helping the person in the slum? 
Yeah. Know, they're only. I think. I think being a billionaire should be illegal, flat out. Really. Like, ha- having more money than you can spend. Well, that's pr- a pretty radical. Is, no, it's obscene. And I, <laughs> I think no, but even uh, um, OAC. What's her name? Ocasio Cortez. Oh know, yeah. Center, she she said that. Like really. It's not, billionaire that's embarrassing like you shouldn't be and i think we've also entered a new era where you know the 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 money guys of the last century you know the carnegies and the vanderbilts you know they knew okay i've got more money than anybody i need to give it away yeah okay bill gates knows that yeah but certain people i won't mention don't know that yeah i think if i have a pile of money bigger than anyone else then that makes me a better person i'm more important and a lot of primitive people think the same way. They they like the idea of having a king or somebody better than them. Oh yeah, to basically so kind of to make them better it. than the, the immigrant. You because know, because they I'm have here and you're king. not there. Yeah, yeah, I have a better king than you do. Yeah, and it's a kind of master servant mentality mm-hmm. that. Well, I mean, that's, that's what the getting, world is built on. You know. I mean? Well, I see. I think that that's the the animal kind of pack mentality. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a pack of lions. And I, I hate the antelope, yeah. you know, and the lion is never going to try to help out the antelope and give the antelope some food because right. the antelope, antelope is the poor immigrant and I'm the rich American, mm-hmm. you know, so I know that's a nasty analogy. Yeah, but I think <laughs> that is kind of, yeah. Well, but, but I think only and, if, and you can, how... if you can be in a place that you think is totally foreign and, and imagine that you could live there too is like a key, like, could you ever see yourself being happy living in a slum in Mumbai? Right. You know, and I think most people can't, you mm-hmm. know, and I honestly, I can't either. But, yeah. <laughs> but when I was there, I, I was, you know, able to go inside those kind of slum hutments and I amazed that they're like immaculate, yeah. they're perfectly clean. They're perfectly organized. You know, it, it's a, a hut made out of cow dung, you know, with a, uh, roof made out of leaves and it has copper pots and they're lined up perfectly spaced they're washed they're perfect they're organized mm-hmm. you know and there's a certain pride in living in a hut you yeah. know and i think religion has a lot to do with it you know in the hindu religion being a poor person doesn't mean you're a loser doesn't mean you're bad it means god put you here yeah <laughs> and god sees you and god respects you but you know in america if you don't have money you're considered to be a failure you because know, we live in a capitalist society yeah, that, you didn't try you know, hard. That enough. You didn't try hard. Enough. It's all about how hard you work, but right. But poor people work just as hard as rich people. Mm-hmm. I think probably a lot harder, you know. And, and so that idea that oh, if I work hard, I'll get rich is is also mm-hmm. crap. Sure. So <laughs> fallacy. Do you take so, time to to look into other, you know, other perspectives of thinking on that type of subject? You know what I mean? Do you mm-hmm. do, do you take time to to kind of see? Um, I don't know, like, s- s- there are some, some good parts of the capitalism, you know what I mean? There well, are... Oh, oh, see, and again, I'm, I'm just making, like, ra- like sweeping statements right. without having done the research, it, you know? Yeah, it, and I don't, I'm not saying capitalism is terrible, mm-hmm. but I feel like capitalism is the not the way the... to sustain the planet. <laughs> sustain you know? the planet, right. You know, it, or maybe it's a mix of capitalism and socialism, mm-hmm. you know, people... We, we put these labels on things just to simplify them. Right. You know, because we can't, we can't really process complex things all at once. Right. So we just put a label and say, well, you're a socialist. That's bad. You know, <laughs> yeah. If you think about, well, what is socialism is about caring for other people. Is, is that bad? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why, why is being a liberal and, and like helping people and, and caring about people who have less than you, why is, is that a bad thing? 
you know but it's just we we, we put like kind of nursery school I I feel like we're kind of operating in a seventh grade (laughs) mentality (laughs) you know like our politicians use terms like good guys bad guys oh yeah and it's not that's what you tell a fourth grader that's a good guy that's a bad guy but you know, at the world Isn't level of world organization, we still use terms like good guys and, and bad, bad guys. guys. And that is just, right. it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. I think we can do a little better. Right, and so that's where <laughs> the, the education thing kind of comes in. And, and, and yeah. again, it's not, like you said, it's not about good guys, bad guys. I, I, I honestly don't try to think of it as two-party system or, or you know, two, yeah. two different perspectives or anything. It's just like we need to open up children to the idea of these other concepts like you're like yeah. if they were i mean you know it is dangerous to send a bunch of kids over to india or something but if they were to do that the experience mm-hmm. that they would get from that would be in- insane oh well to- and see actually maybe one kind of closing point another person i met sure. in india uh, anand mahindra and the mahindra corporation mm-hmm. is massive it's, it's sort of like general electric procter and gamble and Wow. General Motors all in one. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And so Anand Mahindra, he's the he's the head, he's the CEO. Um, and my business partner knew him and he actually wanted to work with us. I designed a house for his daughter. And so we're sitting here at dinner and he's straight across from me, billionaire, probably I don't know. And again I don't have the facts, but probably the top twenty, twenty five businessman in the world mm-hmm. is sitting right there and he says, So <laughs> you're from Ohio. Yeah. You know, and also I come from a Mennonite background um you know very very american kind of farm uh pacifist um, <laughs> belief actually another one of the the students that was working for us was a quaker oh wow and, and you know so Anand looks at me and he says well you know you and you and um geo geo was the quaker i think you 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 two boys you know you you can be really successful in india because of your background you know, because, and he's saying, you know, I'm I'm head of the, you know, one of the biggest corporations in the world. We have people that come to see us all the time. And either they kind of break into two categories and, you know, they're from Harvard, they're from, you know, uh, you know yeah, they, they run massive corporations all over the world. And they come to India and they're either, they either are horrified by the poverty yeah. and they want to fix it immediately. We got to do this, this, and this, and then just get rid of it, you know, mm-hmm. or they kind of enjoy being the elite aristocracy of the uh, 19th century. And he's like, they divide into two. But you guys, you kind of blend in. Oh. Like, you, you don't try to fix it. You don't, because you realize you can't. It's you that know? Ohio. Yeah, you can't just come in and say, oh, gee, there are a billion poor people. We're going to give them all televisions. And, <laughs> and then it's all, you know. So we don't try to fix it. Um, but we also kind of see the problem. But he was saying, you guys can kind of work within the system. Right, and I th- I thought that was just a, a kind of interesting point of view, which I think kind of comes back. And he to, and he was able to see that in you too. Yeah, yeah, and he because he, he could see that that you know this other guy and I were kind of. He was saying, "How is it that you 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 blend in? You're successful. You can go to a job site, and you know you can talk to people. You you know you look like a freak from outer space to them." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you 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 kind of feel like you belong here. You live here. You you get on a bus and you go across town and you can get on a train and and you can actually live in Mumbai and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I, I just thought that was interesting and I took it as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> you know, because I I think I I felt 
you know, very accepted, um, very And that probably makes it even more prideful to come totally. from Totally. It was during the area of um, uh, outsourcing. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and, you know, I was an expat, and mm -hmm. expat means, like, you know, you're from another country, but you're living here only for business. You know, and the expats are kind of snooty people, and I'd meet some, and one guy wanted to have dinner, and he said, oh, I just, I just can't get these people to work. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was so offended, and, uh, you know, typically, at that time, like, outsourcing foreign labor, labor was cheaper. And I said, well, I'm actually the opposite of outsourcing. I'm coming you know, in. I'm expensive labor yeah. that's being paid for by Indians in India. You yeah. know? So I'm not the cheap labor, you know, doing stuff in America. I'm the expensive labor <laughs> here. But, you know, I, I think they just really valued that uh, I wanted to be there and I wanted to live there. Yeah. And I could see it's, you know, it's one of the most incredible places in the world sure. to be. So and and to come from Ohio, don't be embarrassed about it. <laughs> <laughs> to be raised in Ohio, you, exactly. you shouldn't be ashamed. And uh, it, it, no, it, it's, it's a hard, it's exactly a hard it. pill to swallow. But uh. exactly, <laughs> and just feeling like okay, I'm a kid from a small town in Ohio, and I live in Mumbai, India. Yeah, and you know, just feeling like that alone, I think was not everyone can have that experience. But I think if if they did, in some ways, it would just help people see what it's like to be in a completely opposite mm -hmm. part of the world. Yeah. And we're all kind of like not that different. Yeah. <laughs> and so I hope people yeah. listening can, you know, they hear your experience and can kind of, you know, apply that a little bit. Apply, oh, I, I mean, obviously they don't have the direct experience, yeah. but that's what I want, you know, <laughs> listeners to kind of, to try to get out of, of these things like yeah. this. So, yeah. right. I mean, and that's what I'm going to try to get out of it. So, Excellent. yeah, I appreciate you sharing everything for me out here and, uh, okay. Bringing me out and everything. And All right. It's well, been a good no, time. it's been good. It's been a pleasure. This. I think we got interrupted by the Hells Angels a couple of times. A couple of times. <laughs> so yeah, be proud that you're from Ohio. Why not? <laughs> be proud that you're from any small town city anywhere. You know, that, I think that was the main point. It doesn't just have to be Ohio. It just has to. You have to be able to to say that. We don't have to be able to say, I mean, nobody has to do anything, but it's nice to be able to say that I grew up in a smaller town and I can appreciate the values that they instill in those areas of life, as well as trying to get out and explore and do, do big, big city concepts and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with either of them. And I think we, we, uh, we covered that pretty well. So, uh, yeah, I want to thank you again for listening and thanks Tom again and, uh, yeah, enjoy your week, have a good one, and do the right thing, okay? And I love you, amen, okay, bye! Put it, pop it, I put it in the pudding, and I put the pop in the pudding.